It's hard when you think of all that God's done for us not to just be amazed at how much He loved us in the first place. We really did nothing to deserve His love, and yet He gave it freely. And I'm so thankful that uh, the Rochesters sang that song directly before I got up to preach. Take your Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 1. I want to start out by saying that I'm thankful for the country that I live in. If I had the opportunity to choose a place to live, well, first of all, it would be Texas. I'm sorry, Rochester family, when y'all get right with the Lord, y'all move down here with us. But I am proud to be an American. And our country is far from perfect. But the fact that I can stand here before you today and open this book that I have and we can choose to freely worship our God, unashamed, unafraid of some uh, police officer or uh, force coming in here and shutting our doors, I'm thankful for our country. Now that being said, I tried my very best to make a sermon about how I was proud to be an American. And I'll be, I'll be honest with you, I wrestled with the Lord on exactly how to approach this. And it's funny when a preacher tries crafting the Bible to say what he wants it to say, it just doesn't work. Well, not in my experience anyway. So if you find that my sermon has absolutely nothing to do with America, it's because I couldn't find it in the Bible. But I do want to speak to you this morning on something that the Lord has laid on my heart. Acts chapter 1, verse number 6. The Bible speaks here in verse number 6 and says, When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up. And a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. I want to speak to you this morning on this topic, the last words. You see, last words are very important. Jesus taught some of the most profound messages on this earth. He, he spoke through parables, and you read those parables, and it's God almost making a truth that seems infinitely far beyond our grasp. He wraps it into a story, and then we can understand what he was trying to say. He said things like, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. 
I am the good shepherd. He spoke some of the most amazing things while he was on this earth. But these are his last words. And I believe that we'd be wise to take what he said and apply it to our life. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. I pray this morning that you would be with me. Give me clear direction. Give me discernment, Lord. Lord, I pray that I would speak nothing but what you'd have me speak. And Lord, I pray that everybody in this room, if it is truly God's word, which is being preached this morning, they would open their hearts and open their lives to what the word of God would speak to them. And I ask that there would not be one person in this room today who would be resistant to what the Holy Spirit of God has them to do. Lord, if there's someone here that isn't saved and has never come to know Christ Jesus as Savior of their life, Lord, I pray today that they would make that decision. I pray that saints that have maybe struggled and gotten off course, Lord, today I pray that they would refocus on what really matters. I pray this in your Son's precious name. Amen. It was not long ago I had knee surgery, and... I've never really had any type of procedures or anything like this to speak of, so I was very nervous about going under the knife. I don't really like hospitals anyway, considering my thought process is, if I am laying in this bed, there's a good chance that somebody before me died in this bed. So I don't really like hospitals much at all. And and they began to talk to me about anesthesia and and how the anesthesiologist was going to have to come in, he's going to give me a shot, and they would have me countdown from a hundred and 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 they told me that most people generally only get to about 98 or 97 I'm a very competitive person and as I heard these words I said I can do 93 I know I've got it in me and so I was very nervous I I don't really like the idea of being unconscious or unaware of what's going on around me and people taking me wherever they want. That, and then the fact that after the procedure, I was going to be wheeled into a recovery area where there are six other people laying there like zombies, not even aware that we're, you know, it just seems weird to me. But I remember that anesthesiologist came in and, and he gave me the shot. And uh, he said, now start counting down. And I said, 100. I think I made it to 99 and a half. I don't even think I got all the way there. And I just think that it was because I'm so unused to being drugged. Unlike all these other people who are very familiar with it. You know, Brother Billy told me he made it to 90, actually. So, you see, I I, I didn't really, I, I didn't last long at all. But I remember as they were wheeling me out of the room... I felt like something needed to be said because I was leaving all of my family and loved ones behind and going to the great unknown, to be honest with you. And it was knee surgery, and that is a long way from my heart. But you know what? Who knows? I may have died right there in a a scope on my knee. So uh, we're going in, and and they wheel me out of the room. And as I pass out of the corridor of my, uh, out of the, uh, the, the door there in my room into the main corridor, All I could think to say was, I love you, Amy. (laughs) That's it. It was not profound by any stretch of the imagination, but for some reason when I get drugged, I feel this intense urge to love my wife even more. So uh, I I will out of the room and I just say, I love you, Amy. Those are my last words. 
You see, last words are very important. And that actually meant a great deal to my wife, that I was drugged. And she said, oh, thanks, honey. I'm glad you're there. It could have been, I love you, Mom, but (laughs) that wouldn't have gone over quite as well. (laughs) But last words are so important. And while Jesus taught so many profound things on this earth, his last words boiled down to what his entire ministry was. It was his heart being given to his disciples. It was the people that he had brought from being just fishermen and, and, and people who worked secular jobs to, here's your now higher calling in life, and these were his last words. And I want to share three thoughts with you this morning. I want you to first of all notice with me a concern that is voiced. Look at verse number 6 of chapter number 1 in the book of Acts. These people have now been been talking with Jesus, and Jesus died on the cross, and for 40 days he's been ministering to these disciples. Verse number 6 says, When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying... Now this was a question that they had for the resurrected Savior. He's literally died and was buried and rose again, and now he's teaching them as if he had never died in the first place. And this was the question they had to ask. Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? See, many times in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, his disciples talked of this, spoke and and questioned him on, when would the restoration of Israel take place? Lord, when are you going to redeem us and restore us to the glory that we once had when David was king? Lord, when is that going to take place? And many times they were found with the wrong idea of the Messiah. They thought that Jesus was going to come to conquer and to liberate all. They thought that he was going to make Israel the power of the day. And so now as he's died for their sins and rose again to give them power, this was their question. Lord, is it about time you fix our country? And I like how Jesus completely redirects their thought process. It says, that's not for you to know. Let's let that take care of itself, and he gets them on what really matters. Look, there's a lot of things in America that aren't quite what we want them to be, aren't there? And what I sense in in our circle, and, and I don't have a very big circle, but what I feel in my heart is we're so concerned about America. And we're concerned about the direction it's heading. We're concerned about the policies and the legislation of the day. And that's all good and fine. But I'm afraid that we might have fallen into the same line as these people. When there are much bigger fish to fry, we sit here and say, well, America's going down the drain. You know what? God didn't come to save America. And I'm thankful that God did not come to save Israel. For there is no difference between the, the Jew or the Gentile. For the same Lord is rich unto all uh, that call upon his name. I'm thankful today that when Jesus came, he did not come to choose nations out and to call nations out. America will continue to go down the drain, I hope you understand, as this world will get increasingly farther and farther away from God. But my friend, your call in life is not to sit and be concerned about the direction of America. It's about getting sinners to come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, we can complain about the policies of our day, and that's what's going on. You see, these people had never known anything but bondage. 
They were first in bondage to Babylon, then Assyria, then Persia, then uh, the Greeks, and, and now they're in bondage to Rome. And no doubt as they grew up, their mothers taught them the stories of Moses leading the children of Israel through the Red Sea away from the, the captivity of Egypt. No doubt they were looking for a Moses, but they missed the Messiah. And we're looking for Christians to take a stand so that our policies get fixed and it'll be easier to send our kids to public school because the Bible will be back in school. I don't count on that happening. Our leaders are not going to all of a sudden do an about face and turn back to God and turn back to the Bible. My friend, what we ought to be concerned about is not the direction of America, but the direction of people, whether they're going to heaven or whether they're going to hell. We're concerned, but we're concerned about the wrong thing. These people were concerned about their nation while their nation was dying and going to hell. So I see a concern. I want you to notice, secondly, a commission. Uh, Look in verse number 8. The Bible says, But ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Now here's the Lord redirecting their thought process. He says, what are you concerned about the restoration of Israel for? The reason he came was to make the ground level at the cross. The reason he came was so that the Gentile could know him as Messiah and know him as Savior and know him as Lord. And they're still worried about political views. And and Jesus totally redirects their line of thinking. He says, don't worry about Israel. When I'm gone... You're going to be my witnesses. You're going to be the ones to tell the world about me and what I've done here. Do you know what a witness is? It's someone who makes statement or fact about what they've seen or heard. You see, witnesses don't have opinions. Witnesses are not biased. Witnesses simply speak the truth that they know. They're not questioned on what they do not know. You were called to be a witness of the Lord Jesus Christ, and all you are to do is share what God has done in your own life. You're not called to give the experience of Paul. You're not called to give the experience of John. You're called to give your testimony and the testimony of the Word of God. We shall be witnesses. But the Bible makes very clear here that we're not doing it by ourselves. Verse number 8, the emphasis is not upon them going to the world. The emphasis on the Holy Ghost accompaniment in the call. When I was younger, we were, I guess I was a freshman in high school. We were working out for football. And I look like I work out for football, don't I? I, I look that way. We were, we had kind of uh, uh, made a contract with this local gym that all the football team could go down and we would go down about two days a week and we'd work out and uh, we were trying to get big and bulky for football girls really but football was second and I remember I had never really done much working out I didn't know anything about weights I didn't really know everybody kept talking about 45s and I had no idea what that was And um, we went down to the gym, and on our way down, all these guys were talking about how much they could squat. 
And I didn't even know what a squat was, to be honest with you. And they said, yeah, I can squat 250. And they said, yeah, I can squat 280. And they said, Andrew, how much can you squat? And my daddy taught me that the last liar always wins. I said, I can do about 290. I said, no, you can't. Yeah. Yeah. I have no clue what 290 is. I don't know if it's a drink. I, I don't know if it's a candy. I have no clue what's going on. We get down to the gym and none of the guys believe me. And so they say, Andrew, let's go to the squat rack. And I'm like, is that a fruit stand or... They take me over to this medieval-looking torture device. And they, they say, you stand right here. And there's this little bitty ledge that you stand on. And they put this bar on your shoulders. And they put all this weight on the bar. And this machine in particular had a deal where you, you, you pulled it off the rack, but you didn't hold the weight until the guys dropped it. And so I had what are called spotters. I know this now. And these spotters are supposedly your friends. And they'd throw 290 on there. The, the bar is bending in the middle, just bowing in the middle. And I'm standing there and, you know, the, the machine's helping me and my friends are helping me. And I'm thinking, this isn't that bad. And I remember they said, you got it? I said, I got it. And as soon as they dropped, I folded <laughs> like a pretzel. I'm talking about my head was touching my heels. And you, you say, you're not that flexible. Well, it doesn't really matter when you have 290 pounds pulling you down. I was, I just, I had lied to myself trying to be cool and trying to be in. And I, I thought that I could do some amazing feat on my own just because that I willed myself to do it. Therein lies our failure and flaws as witnesses unto this dying world is we're lying to ourselves thinking we can do it. We think because we know the Romans road, we think because we know the, the plan of salvation that we can do it. My friend, the, Jesus Christ testified in the spirit. Paul was a powerful preacher and Peter got his boldness from the Spirit of God. Now what makes you think that we're going to be the witnesses that we need to be in this world by going out in our own strength and our own might? We're going to end up like me in that squat rack machine, folded like a pretzel and failing. Friend, one day we're going to have to realize that the gospel is beautiful. Like the old hymnal says, I love to tell the story. And it will be my theme in glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. It's a beautiful story that Jesus Christ came to this earth. The biggest gap that has ever been spanned in history was not east coast to west coast or the sea. The greatest gap that's ever been spanned was when God came down to man. And God wrapped himself in the form of some infant child who was so weak and feeble that they had to wrap him in clothing to keep warm. And he grew up as a tender plant, grew up for 33 years. Only his sole purpose was to die at the hands of angry men. All throughout his ministry, they would ask him what his purpose was. And there was never a doubt as he would say, the son of man must die. 
Friend, that's the greatest story that's ever been told. The greatest thing about that story is he did not just come to die, but he came to die for sinners. We're so aggressive towards sin nowadays, and I believe we ought to preach the truth about sin. We ought to hate sin and love the sinners. But Jesus uh, hates sin and love the sinners. But Jesus came to this earth to die on the cross for those people, and we ought to, in love, share the plan of salvation and share the gospel call with those folks. Man, we're witnesses, but I'll be honest: we're, we're messing up. We're failing. And I can only think when God said, I will give you my spirit and I will give you my power to be witnesses. If we have those things, I can only think the reason we're failing is because we're not going with his power. We're not going with his strength. Not only a commission, I want you to thirdly notice this and we're actually done. You say you're lying, brother Andrew. Well, the last liar always wins. I want you to notice, finally, a charge. Now look in verse number 10. I cannot imagine the sight of seeing a resurrected Savior ascend to heaven. This would be a very close second to the Mount of Transfiguration if I had my choice of places to be in the Bible. I would have loved to see Jesus ascend up into heaven just just in power and glory and victory. I would have loved to have seen that. And now as Jesus disappears into some clouds, they stand there looking, almost as if they don't know what's going to happen or what to do now. And verse number 10 tells us, the Bible says, And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye've seen him go into heaven. Here's what they say to him. These angels stand by and they look straight at these men and they say, Didn't you hear him? Verse 8, you're called to be witnesses. Verse 8, you're you're, you're called to go in the Spirit's strength and the Spirit's power. Verse 8, you're called to go to, your task is huge. You're to go unto the world to share the plan of salvation, to share the gospel message. You're called to go into the world. And they say, what are you waiting for? Why are you waiting? Why are you looking steadfastly into heaven? Don't you realize that this same Jesus is going to come back? And you may not have as long as you think one day he's going to come in victory and he's going to call his bride away. You understand that you you may not have all the time in the world. He says, what are you waiting for? Jesus promised he would return in John chapter 14, verse 2. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, uh, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again, that I may receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Jesus promised he would return. So why do we act like it's not imminent? Why are we throwing it in neutral so much that we aren't really progressing for the Lord? Benjamin Franklin said, without continual growth and progress, such words as improvement, achievement, and success have no meaning. Are we progressing? 
Are we trying? Are we trying to reach out? Are we being the witnesses that we're called to be? I, I believe if the angels had one message for us this morning, it would be this. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting on? The call is great. Don't you realize that Jesus will come back? Don't you realize he will return? Don't you realize that you are called to be his witness while he's gone, but he's coming back? That's their message this morning. And that's the last words of our Lord. That's why Luke chapter 12, verse 40 says, Be ye therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when ye think not. It's at the very moment we stop looking for him that he's going to return. And I believe that if we were to please our Lord this morning, we would be proactive in getting the message that Jesus will come again, and Jesus came once to die for sins. Now, I love what I call flirting with my wife. I don't think that when you get married, you should stop enjoying life. That's what Brother Marshall was telling me anyway. He was saying that. And, and my wife and I, we, we kind of argue, I think is what most people call it. No, we, we, we pick with each other. And we've done it since we were in college. And, and in fact, in college, people would hear us picking at one another, and they would always say, they'll never make it. <laughs> and we, we enjoy this. But one thing that I really like doing is my wife thinks I'm a terrible driver. And she's right. And her father encourages her, his daughter in this. And so many times you'll see when my wife and I ride together, she gets very car sick, and so she usually drives. And you say, well, it does not very manly for a man not to lead his home, can't even drive his car. Well, I would rather not lead that car than have vomit sprayed on me. So it's really a choice. And so I love messing with her in these instances. And what we'll do is we'll pull up to a stoplight. And her gear selector is right here in the middle of both of us. And I will try my very best to distract my wife and throw that thing into neutral. And what happens is she's focused on something else and the light turns green and I'll go, hey, it's green. And the car beside her will begin to move forward. And you'll hear, it's a Kia, so it's not. And you'll, this car will be at 6,000 RPMs. He's like, honey, I think something's wrong. What's wrong? What's... And she'll look down and she'll see it's not in drive and she'll, she'll start cursing. And the point of this story is don't mess with your wife and don't allow her to curse you out. But oftentimes I feel like we're that car. We're loud and we're trying, but we're neutral. We're working hard. Hey, the engine doesn't work any less hard, but it's staying in the same place. The charge of our Lord as he left this earth was, I'm coming back. And people need to know what I've done here. People need to know that there was a Savior that bled and died for them. People need to know that God who created them loved them. People need to know. The last words of our Lord today are, I'm coming back. I'll return. 
But are we being the witnesses we need to be?